Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of the Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. Everybody, how's it going? Welcome to the Are You Listening podcast, where two friends sit down and listen to a record that one of us hasn't heard. I'm Scott. I'm here with my friend Brand. How are you today, sir? Hello, hello. I'm great. I'm working all weekend, so great. <laughs> uh, I sense a little, a little hint of something in the in the back of your voice there. I, it's not. It I I should barely call it work. I mean, it's at a comic shop. I love being there. I love doing it. It's just the the, the idea that I don't have a choice of what I can be doing is the only <laughs> right. thing. Like I actually, it's it's barely work. Some days I don't get a customer, which I know that I should be worried about because it's the it's the job. But right. if I'm being honest, some days I'm just sitting there like, well, well pretty good day. Pretty <laughs> good day. Nobody came in. I did not sell a single book and I'm golden. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I, I, I do enjoy it. It's just that, that whole timetable of, I have to be at this specific place at this specific time. Right. The, the lack of actual freedom. Yes. Even though the job itself, it, that's, a lot of freedom i'm kind of right right (laughs) all right i'm glad we're at job talk i'm glad this yeah job job talk is the best welcome (laughs) to the job talk podcast welcome to the job cast we are uh (laughs) gonna go over a couple of guys that talk about work a couple of blue collar what is which what is blue collar is that like blue collar the people that actually work white collar are the guys that uh don't do shit and get all the money what's retail is retail blue collar I would say so. I mean, technically, I guess I'd be a white collar if nobody comes in. <laughs> I suppose that's true. <laughs> okay, whatever. We're done. We're done with the job cast. <laughs> We're done with the job what, cast. What album are we here to talk about? We are here to talk about the band The Wonder Years and their record, The Greatest Generation. The Wonder Years is an American pop punk band from Lansdale, Pennsylvania. I, I don't even know where that is. I believe that's like three and a half hours away from you. They're closer to the East Coast than you are. So like outside of Philly? Yeah. They formed in July 2005. The band currently consists of Dan Soupy Campbell, Casey Cavalier, Cavalieri, maybe. I apologize for butchering names. Uh, Matt Brash, Josh Martin, Nick Steinborn, and Mike Kennedy. They've released six full-length albums, two EPs, and several splits and compilations. The group is currently signed to Hopeless Records. Their name originates from a paper that Soupy read that was written by one of his after-school educators titled The Wonder Years. They all have last names that could have nicknames. Why is Soupy the only one with a nickname? No idea. Soup is gross. I don't like soup. You don't like soup? Uh, Like no soup at all? Tomato. Tomato is the only soup I eat. Is that right? It's great. What about what about stew? If it's if it's thicker, like I can eat a very thick chili. But okay, yeah, no. I used I used to eat potato soup, but you can't get a like a pre made potato soup without bacon in it. And as you know, I do not eat meat. Yeah, so I love soup, especially on on fall or winter days with a grilled cheese. Well, I guess even potato soup is closer to a stew. 
or a yeah, shower. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I just, I don't like sucking off a spoon. Oh, okay. Like, if I have tomato soup, there's also, like, a shit ton of crackers or goldfish or even croutons in it. And honestly, I would dip 18 sandwiches in soup and just eat, just continue to suck it out of the bread <laughs> yeah. before before I ate the soup. I, I just don't like soup. There's some, I don't like fan. the, I don't like eating it. I don't like drinking it, which I, I don't, do people drink soup? I mean... Like the end of it, uh, like you tilt the bowl up in your mouth, maybe. Is that considered drinking? And now we're the soup cast. The Wonder Years were formed in 2005 out of the remnants of a band called The Premier. Their first practice was in Mike Kennedy's basement on July 5th, 2005. On that day, they wrote their first song, Buzz Aldrin, the poster boy for second place, which appeared on their first full length, Get Stoked on It, that was released in 2007. Unfair. That's unfair to Buzz. I love Buzz Aldrin. I heard stories of people like walking up to him and telling him that the moon landing was fake and he would just sock him in the jaw. He would just sock him in the jaw. He would just punch him immediately. I would too if I was, if there was such a huge conspiracy theory against something that I had like literally done myself. (laughs) Yes. Somebody came up to me and told me that it was a conspiracy. I would just be like, are you, you know who I am, right? He would just take a swing at him, which is yeah, great. Yeah, I would. Like, I would I, too. I, just, I, love, I love that idea of this old man, in a, probably in a wheelchair, just taking a swing at a dude for saying, hey, you were never there. And he just, oh, what's that? I love the thought of him getting so angry that he stands up out of the wheelchair and punches somebody in the throat. <laughs> yeah. And then he says one small hook for man. <laughs> <laughs> one giant jab for mankind. Welcome to the Mooncast. Welcome to the Buzzcast. <laughs> Six years later, prior to the release of The Greatest Generation, the band's fourth studio album, The Wonder Years played four shows in the span of 24 hours to promote the album. They played in Philadelphia at 6 p.m. on May 10th with the band Modern Baseball. They played in New York City at 12 a.m. on May 11th with A Loss for Words. They played Chicago at 10 a.m. on May 11th with mixtapes. And then played at Anaheim at 6 p.m. on May 11th with Versus the World and The Sheds. So they went from Philly to New York City to Chicago to Anaheim all in a span of 24 hours and played a show. The Anaheim one is the one that's insane to me. Well, then you're kind of traveling back in time as you travel. But still. Yeah, still. Oh, yeah, still. It's got (laughs) to be insane. Like, imagine jumping off the plane and then right to the stage. After you played three shows in the last 20 hours. (laughs) Yeah. Well, technically Um, 20 hours. The time zones are in their favor. Due to travel complications, the Anaheim show didn't actually start until 8 p.m., though. So, like, 26 hours that they played four shows. So they fucking lied. They lied to us then. Great. Good start. (laughs) Only kind of. Only kind of. (laughs) (laughs) But still, that, that... Four pack of shows is crazy. Like, it makes me wonder if they were opening for those other bands, which is another wild thought because modern baseball has never been that big. I've never. Modern baseball is like one of the biggest Midwest emo bands, period. Oh, really? I've never. I don't think I've ever listened to modern baseball. I believe that's what I think. And if we do ever do a modern baseball episode, stick will have to get involved because that dude won't shut the fuck up about modern baseball. <laughs> Is that right? And there's a few tracks that I've listened to that I enjoy. I just don't know if that whole album of that's for me. I'm okay. not a big Midwest emo guy, but right. I'm pretty sure modern baseball is like, if not the, they're one of the contenders of like top Midwest emo bands. I'm, I mean, I may oh, be talking man. out of my ass here because like I said, I'm not super informed, but that's the only band that you said that I recognized was Modern Baseball. Yeah, the, a loss for words I've never heard of. Mixtapes I've never heard of except for the actual physical thing of a mixtape. I may have heard of mixtapes, but just in passing. I've heard of Versus the World, but they, I, I think I had like one CD of theirs, but it never really, it never really stuck with me. And then The Sheds I've never heard of at all. No, me neither. The Greatest Generation was released May 14th, 2013 through Hopeless Records. It's 13 tracks at 48 minutes and 51 seconds. In a teaser video, the band talked about the recording and writing process of the album. 
They wrote the album in a small apartment above an abandoned sandwich shop. In the video, Soupy called it a third piece in a trilogy about growing up. He also stated the album was about the end of the war he had within himself fighting depression and anxiety. The title is taken from the term coined by Tom Brokaw about how the generation that fought in World War II was the greatest generation. I don't know how I feel about how we're throwing soupy around like this. I don't know. It's it's I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 rubbing <laughs> me the wrong way. And I don't know you why. Want, you start saying Dan. I won't know who you're talking about. So continue <laughs> so saying just soupy. Continue with soupy. Yep. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> the greatest generation received critical acclaim upon its release. At Metacritic, the album holds an overall rating of 97 out of 100, which indicates universal acclaim. Scott Heisel of Alternative Press gave the album 4.5 out of 5 stars, saying it's fast, it's honest, and it'll probably make you tear up more than once. Thomas Nassi of Absolute Punk did not even give the album a standard rating from 1 to 10, stating, It is my firm belief that the greatest generation has no real precedent in this community. It's my belief that there isn't another band in pop punk right now that can write a record this good. Wow, just hype all over the board. Everybody's Tons hype. of hype. Yeah. Uh, in addition to the critical acclaim, commercially, it was also successful. It was the first. It was their first album to crack the top 20 in the Billboard 200, moving 19,673 copies in the first week and reaching the number 20 spot. The British magazine Rock Sound included it on their best albums of 2013 list, calling it the defining album of what may well have been the genre's best year for a decade. Krang said the album ripped up the pop punk blueprint, pushing the genre to new peaks of invention, both lyrically and musically. And then Rolling Stone listed it at number 41 on their feature, the 50 greatest pop punk albums. Uh, they made that list November 15th, 2017 was when it was yeah. posted. So no other albums are on there since then. Good. <laughs> right. <laughs> just my, I mean, we'll, we'll get into like my opinions on post second wave pop punk even. And it just, yeah, it's I, a, yeah I don't even know what to like at what point pop punk stopped, restarted, and then we got MGK. We're not, well, I'm cutting this. We're not having MGK in this episode. We're on like a nine episode streak of where MGK pops up and I'm not letting it happen again. Gotcha. So that's it really for notes. I have uh, our Billboard Top 100 for the week of, of May 14th. At 10, we have Feel This Moment by Pitbull featuring Christina Aguilera. No, no familiarity. No, no, me neither. Uh, At number nine, we have Cruise by Florida Georgia Line featuring Nelly. Pass. I know that one. Uh, And for a minute there, I was listening to Florida Georgia Line. Not me. But but yeah, not not too much anymore. I think I cut it out on the last episode. I did because we were talking about a now track list. And we talked about Honky Tonk, Badonka Donk and about how. Yes. I, I felt like embarrassment for the song, like for people who were enjoying. It. And by the way, I, please enjoy whatever you want to enjoy. That's it's fine. Oh, for sure. it, like yeah. for me, it felt embarrassing. And anytime I've ever heard something by Florida Georgia Line, it felt embarrassing. I was like, why? Why? <laughs> who? Right. And then when Nelly joined him, like, I love Nelly and like yeah. good for him because I know he made money off that track. A lot oh, of money. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, no, I just no, not for me. At number eight, we have Radioactive by Imagine Dragons. Yeah, I that is a it was a huge track. It yeah, I I, I didn't hate that track when it came out. Me neither. And then they they played it so often that it, it, at this point it's one of those I don't ever need to hear it again. I'm all right. Yeah, I I feel like Imagine Dragons gets a lot of hate, uh, and I'm not sure if it's warranted. They're like the new Nickelback. Yeah, I've I've heard that a lot. They're like the the new Nickelback, but I hated everything nickelback <laughs> and i haven't hated everything imagine dragons although i haven't listened to everything imagine dragons i listened to that first record and that's all and the one I with radioactive on it yeah yeah I did. and too. i don't know that might not even be their first record but that's i the don't one know I either <laughs> yeah lucas lucas really liked that song coming in at number seven we have i love it by icona pop featuring charlie xcx um if i heard it i might know it but offhand nothing yep. 
No idea. Uh, number six, Thrift Shop by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis featuring Wands. Yeah, you know, the guy who won Best Rap Album over To Pimp a Butterfly. Yeah, that that's ridiculous. That is what it was, right? Like, he won yeah. over... Yeah, I'm pretty sure, insane. yeah. Yeah, insane. crazy, crazy. Good for you, Portland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number five, When I Was Your Man by Bruno Mars. I don't know if I remember that one. I don't, I'm I don't sure remember I that it. one either. But Bruno Mars is, uh, you know... I, I like Bruno Mars. Number four is Stay by Rihanna featuring Mickey, Mickey Eco. Ooh, I butchered, butchered that one. I don't know. I'm sure I've heard that song. Rihanna's a chart killer. Yeah, she is. Number three, we have Mirrors by Justin Timberlake. I think I was definitely out of Timberlake times when this happened. I don't think I was a Timberlake. Was that from his Man in the Woods album? No, that was, I think that was like the 2020 record. Oh, uh, the 2020 experience? Yeah, I think yeah. I was out of that, too. Okay. I, I remember that song. I remember really liking that track, but I don't remember the rest of that project. Number two, Just Give Me a Reason by Pink featuring Nate Roos. Roos? Are you ESS? A lot, of fe- a lot of features we don't know on these, but... I, n- I know who he is. Pink, but we talked about Pink before, and she's great. Char Killer, yeah. too. Fantastic. Uh, and then number one on the Billboard... Top 100 of week, May 14th, 2013, Can't Hold Us by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis featuring Ray Dalton. Yeah, that's just when that album was being a juggernaut. I don't remember been. that track at all. I don't remember that track at all. <laughs> Me neither. Drift Shop is dying down. On this list of top 10, we have seven tracks with features on them which i appreciate i like i like features i i all, i've always liked the, a feature will make me listen to a track i would have never listened to right speaking of a track that you would listen to coming in at number 38 bugatti by ace hood featuring future and rick ross man that is a great track the whole like idea of that is that just he woke up in a new bugatti like that he doesn't know what he happened the night before <laughs> And he just woke up in a new Bugatti. And Bugatti's, at that time, I think they only had the Vey run out. And it was a million at base. Like, it was a million dollars <laughs> base for the fucking vehicle. So, Crazy. Yeah, that's, that's a great track. That's a great track. I think that was Ace Hood's biggest track, too, ever. And then another uh, track I would have been listening to at the time, number 39 on the list, Carry On by Fun, which is the feature that was on that pink track. He's the mm-hmm. lead singer of the band Fun. The number one album, May 11th through May 18th, 2013, To Be Loved by Michael Buble. Your boy. I like him. You love Buble. He's, You're a, he's a talented fan. singer. I've liked a few things from Buble, but I can't say I'm a Buble fan. I think he. I think he's a really good singer. And then as a father, he, he's pretty fantastic from everything I heard. Like, I, I'm not involved in his personal life at all. You're not Michael Buble's best friend? I thought you and Buble go way back. Oh, I wish we did. There's an early episode that we talk about that. Not, I can't, not for a million dollars would I be able to pull what one it is. But yeah, you've, you've spoken before about you like his music and him as a person. Yeah. And nothing wrong with that. I, I appreciate that through and through. <laughs> All right. I have my list of albums released May 2013. Uh, May 6th, we have Hugh Laurie's Didn't It Rain? Hugh Laurie being the uh, wow. Dr. House. <laughs> Dr. House and uh, an amazing uh, British actor, comedic actor also, like insanely good comedic actor, which you would not expect from watching House. Right. Not at all. I I remember the first time seeing Hugh Laurie do something that wasn't House and realizing he was British. And his accent. What the heck? (laughs) On May 7th, which is the next day, uh, 98 Degrees released 2.0. I'm way out of uh, boy band territory in 2013. Gotcha. Uh, Logic released Young Sinatra, Welcome to Forever. I I wasn't on that one. I've never been a Logic fan. Have you ever listened to a full project? I've listened to whatever one had the suicide track on it, I think. Okay, the the hotline track. I can't remember what record that was on. I did like that song, though. Also on May 7th, we have Talib Kweli releasing Prisoner of Conscious. I don't think I've ever listened to that one. No, that was one I didn't listen to. Three days later on May 10th, we have Demi Lovato releasing Demi. I love Demi Lovato. I know you do. Always have been a fan of them. Always. I don't know what what tracks are on that, but I've I've never disliked a 
a Demi song, if I'm being 100% honest. I've never listened to one, so. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it would be <laughs> your vibe. They have different vibes on different albums. So I think it would just be a matter of finding the exact one that would might maybe catch you. Mm-hmm. But I, I also think that you, there's certain, at least tracks, that you would be astonished by the vocals because they okay. are insane like they their vocal range has was crazy for a long time mm. may 14th so the week that this record came out the record we're talking about came out we have the dillinger escape plan came out with one of us is the killer i'm a huge fan of that record yeah that's one you said you're gonna bring me because i don't think i've ever listened to that one okay maybe i have that written down i have to double check I listen to Ireworks came out in 07 i listened to that one i listened to option paralysis from 2010 i love that record too that's oh and then i did listen to dissociation in 2016 but i also love that one that's the one that i ordered for uh record store day yes and those are the only three i listened to though and then escape the fate released ungrateful on may 14th i think this is already after my escape the fate days too okay i didn't know it was a very short run of Escape the Fate for me, and it, I think it might have just been their first album and a little of the okay. second, maybe? I think I saw Escape the Fate open for Bullet for My Valentine. What a show that was in 02. <laughs> <laughs> no, that had been like that had been like 08. Whenever The Poison came out, because it was The Poison tour. Oh, 05. Yeah. 06 in the US, so yeah, that all checks out. Yeah, that all checks out. Six, yeah, that's, it a, was that's a, a hell of a show for six. It was a great bullet for my Valentine show. Escape the fate. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't huge on because dude couldn't keep his pants above his ass crack. Doesn't need to. It was disgusting. <laughs> Doesn't need to. It's not out there for you. It's out there for you're, people who want to see that. You're right. It, it definitely wasn't that's out there cleavage. for me. That's escape the fate's <laughs> On May 20th, we have 30 Seconds to Mars releasing Love, Lust, Faith, and Dreams. I don't know what one that is. Me neither. Like, after after their first two records, I don't think I listened to anything by them. I learned about them when I saw them perform The Kill on the Conan O'Brien program. Oh, yeah? And loved it. Like, fell yeah. in love immediately. What and I was already in love with Jared Leto. So it was like one of those things where I was like... Holy shit, Jared Leto is a musician too? Right. What the shit is going on? <laughs> I didn't realize that in in the 90s on the MTV TV show that he was on, I believe it was MTV, he would play acoustic guitar, I believe. And I think he was actually playing. I didn't realize he was actually playing it. Because nor- normally they are not. <laughs> yeah, normally they're not. I-, I was a big fan of Jared Leto as well. May 28th, we have Alice in Chains releasing The Devil Put Dinosaurs here. This is the era of Alice in Chains that I have not listened to and refused to listen to. Yeah. I was going to say post Lane is... Staley's passing. I knew that much, but I didn't know if it was like old material released or if it was no, new. It was, yeah, it was with the new the new singer, which he might be talented. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't know because I'd refuse to listen. You're going to go through a renaissance and you're going to hear one track at one point and you're going to be like, wow, I like this. And then you're going to go through a whole period of where you're into the old out the, the the new Alice in Chains. No. Listeners, for those of you, uh I am vehemently shaking my head. Uh there's no way that's gonna happen. I'm gonna have to listen to one of those albums and love it and bring it to you. Oh God, why why do you want to bring things that I know I won't like? <laughs> uh, in, 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 interesting conversation. I don't know. <laughs> and then the last one I have here, May 29th, Children of Bodom releasing Halo of Blood. On May 29th. I don't think I listened to that one. That's all the records I have written down for releasing May 2013, which leads us to your track by track analysis of the Wonder Years, the greatest generation album. Yeah, the album opens up with there, there. Yep, the sure does. Track. Yep. Right off the bat, I I don't hate his voice, which is huge for me. Oh, good. With, with these kind of bands, because okay. there's a part of me that believes for a while there and apparently this broke the blueprint so i'm happy about that <laughs> but a, a lot of like later later stages of pop punk it's like they took 
one version of Tom DeLonge's vocals and thought that's what pop punk was. Right. And made it super like whiny and nasally kind of. Yeah. And that was just yeah. like an album or two that right. they put out. Like yeah. everything else Blink-182 put out wasn't that. No. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like they over-exaggerated his little specific nuances from a couple tracks. And and it shows you how prevalent and dominant Blink One Eighty Two were in like oh the, yeah the continuation of pop punk because that's what the sound of pop punk was then the whining Tom DeLonge vocal yeah like off the uh, off their self titled record yeah big time off that <laughs> big time off yeah that. which I love I love that self titled record I think it's fantastic I hated it when it came out because I was anti quote unquote selling out. Sure. It sounded yeah. like a selling out record. But then coming back around, there's a lot of good tracks on that album. Yeah, there really is. But secondly, this song escalates like three times. Like it starts off at a certain level, mm-hmm. it escalates to it to a, another level, and then it escalates again. That's perfect also. I'm gonna reference a lot of the songwriting on on this record because I think that the songwriting like all those reviews probably said, it it, it it's phenomenal. Like a yeah. lot of the songwriting in this thing is just it's like blow your hair back wild you're like wow this is something different and i think that's what all those reviews were saying like this yeah. isn't what pop punk was and even to me it was even more this isn't what pop punk is because i had an idea of what this wave of pop punk sounded like and this record not it this it's, was not what i was anticipating at all it's all soupy soupy is the songwriter god damn it can we stop throwing the word <laughs> soup <laughs> I apologize, but no, he he was the main songwriting force in the Wonder Years. There's individual lines off this track that are just perfection. Like yes, yeah, so many quotables off this entire record. It's so yeah. crazy. There's his lyricism is amazing. It's a it's a good opener for the album. It it, it leads you into what you're getting into, and mm-hmm. it shows you like, hey, right, right off the bat, this isn't going to be a normal pop punk record that you're used to listening to, for sure, or or you're used to avoiding. Mm-hmm. In my case. Right, right. Second track is Passing Through a Screen Door. Mm -hmm. One of the key metrics for how I measure a pop punk song is the effectiveness of the hook, the effectiveness of the chorus. Because without one of those choruses or hooks that grab you and are sing-alongable, I don't think that's a word. No, it is. We'll say it. It takes takes away the the pop from pop punk. Like in order to be pop punk. You need to have that catchiness and it needs to be, even if it's not being played on radio, like radio ready. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And this one, it just barely reaches that bar for me. Like okay. it's there, like it reaches it, but it's like the minimum to get over it. I like got the you. chorus is just enough to like, yeah, yeah, it's there. I can see it. I can see it. Okay. There's the little like breakdown ish part about talking about the bedside table and the small night light and the knife, mm-hmm. which it, it's that perfect little garnish on this track that makes it a much better track. Like, even though that chorus like just reaches that level, yeah. that little bit, if that little bit wasn't there. And I think that is one of those key metrics, like the key ingredients that a lot of the other pop punk albums wouldn't have had. They would have just played right. the song through and it would, but that's a little bit of, difference and change up yeah that that's one of my notes one of the things i really love about this record is more kind of an attention to detail like in the in the songwriting and in in the playing there's a lot of little little parts in here that you don't pick up from you know like a regular four-piece pop punk band uh just trying to put out radio friendly music whereas Mm -hmm. I I feel like the Wonder Years don't focus as much on radio friendly as they do really like I said really great quotables, really great little instances in their in the in the music and then that makes it more radio friendly. Like it makes it more pop punk. A lot of the bands that I was avoiding albums from when they were just imitating pop punk bands, I think Wonder Years was just influenced by pop punk bands and they they just that's the closest genre you can get to relate them to. So that's what you call them. But it's right, not yeah. one of those. We're just playing pop punk because that's what we play. It's no, we're playing our music. You call it pop punk. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That little like breakdown uh, energy changer in this was a, another dimension that this track really needed. And it, it yeah. made it a much better track, I think. 
they do that a lot through the album too that i really like that just the that like you said energy changes throughout the songs Mm -hmm. there's a couple of them in here that i know we'll get to that i really really enjoy because of those changes and there's one that is misplaced but we'll get there okay moving on to the third track we could die like this yep where the last track lacked a bit of at the chorus or the hook, this one knocks it out of the park. Like if the other one was just batting to get on base, this one home run run RBI, everybody's <laughs> in. Like clear the bases, it's done. Front to back, this is an incredible track. I can't I can't say how much of a bright spot this this song is, not just in this album, but in the pop punk post Blink 182 and all those guys. I I don't know if I've heard a better pop punk song since those guys that I loved until this track. This right. thing is great. Oh, that's awesome. And it's, in addition to that, anybody who grew up with snow, like anybody who grew up in a yeah. winter a winter town, and like your every family had stories of somebody, a relative that died while shoveling snow. Everybody mm-hmm. had, yeah. a, had, a, had a heart attack while shoveling snow. And then personally, my neighbor, I had a neighbor next to me whose dad lived behind me. And his dad died shoveling snow when I was young. Wow. And it was like the it was like the first death close to me that I kind of knew. Like right, the, sure. it was the first time that it made like my my grandmother died of cancer when I was five. So that one really didn't register. Like I was five. You were five, yeah. But then when he died, it was the first time I thought about like, wow, he was like I, I used to see him. He used to yell at me for being in his lawn. <laughs> right. And then and then he died, and it was like the first time I was like, "Wow, like death is a thing, like right. like gone." So that's a big thing to me. It was when I hear like all alone shoveling snow. Yeah, no, I don't like that. <laughs> and then the one major key lyric in here that makes this perfect for me mm. is yes, the whole idea is I want to die in the summers. Like if, but the line is if I have to die. So that's what's very key to me is it's not the wanting to die. I don't like he's not saying I want to die. He's saying if I have to die, make me die in the summer. And that is what that little tiny change on that idea for me is perfect because I am always have been terrified of sickness and death and all of that. (laughs) I have horrible health anxiety. So like saying that little bit was like, yes, perfect. If I have to die, I want to die yeah. in the summer. I couldn't yeah. agree more with it. Couldn't agree more with it. Now, do you have any connection to the Philadelphia Eagles at all? <laughs> Only the Tony Danza movie. Okay. The, Philadelphia, the field goal kicking. No, hold on. The garbage picking, field goal kicking Philadelphia phenomenon. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and he was just, he was just a... Uh, a garbage man that like got got so he was kicking trash or something, and somebody saw him and like you need to be the kicker for the Eagles, and oh, then wow. he became <laughs> the kicker for the Eagles. And I guess the the Mark Wahlberg movie Invincible was also the Eagles, right? I have no idea. I think it was, but no, no. I live closer to Pittsburgh, so the Steelers were always the big gotcha. football team in the area. I only ask because it's a direct reference in this song. Yeah, about with the 92 birds. Yep. As a whole, not just focusing on this track, but this track made me realize how much I put on albums and the season or the weather. Mm-hmm. Like when I, the first time I listened to this, it was 80 degrees outside, the sun was bright, and it was phenomenal. I loved it. And then I started thinking about how how much that means to me. Like I see records as different seasons. Sure. Honestly, I think I would have felt way different about Kendrick's Mr. Morale. If it would have been a fall or even deep winter record. Okay. Because it's just, it has a different feeling to me. It yeah. has a more, you're closed in, you're focused. Whereas this thing, it's open, it's bright. It's not really always bright, but <laughs> yeah. you understand. yeah, no, I get it. This is definitely a late spring summer record, and I love that. And those are that's probably my favorite season of records, just because they're always brighter. So yeah, but I I definitely put a lot of emphasis on seasons with records that I don't know if I noticed before thinking about it with this track and then this record. Next track we have dismantling summer. Yeah, Uh, I've been acting like I'm strong, but the truth is I've been losing ground. Holy hell. Yeah, this track in particular, like, really gets to me. 
it's it's an incredible lyric. It's it, yeah. it really is. And it's one of those that I think any person in the world hears it and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I reference I, I recognize and I can sympathize yeah. with that 100 percent. Yeah, the the orange bottles on the windowsill. Yeah, that hits so hard. It's a really good song that I'm sure I didn't read enough into to grasp exactly what it's about. Like I'm sure there's a, like <laughs> right. another story, another layer to it. Sure, but a lot a lot of pop punk. I use it, and I guess a lot of music to begin with. Like I, I I read it both ways. I try to read it for what it is telling me, what the story is, and then I also want to use it to reference my own you know, history, my own past, sure. my own feelings and everything. And pop punk, it's, it's that usually first, like I listen to it and that's what's first is what I feel based on it and not just, you know, what are they telling me? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. I love that you brought that up before I did with this record, because we have always talked about in multiple episodes about how I feel music more than get the entertainment aspect out of it. That, like this is one of those that like I've I can feel like every track on this record and mm-hmm. I love that you just said that I enjoyed it for what it was and I felt it so I felt I didn't need to dig deeper right I don't know if it's actually autobiographical but okay like I I feel like if it's not I have more respect for it mm-hmm. just because he can make he can write these songs that like I can get right into like mm-hmm. the way he describes things. Like I said, the, the orange pill belt bottles on the windowsill waiting outside the room to see if there's good news, like waiting for good news. I can feel that. And his songwriting, just the string of words he puts together to set up a feeling is just amazing to me. The songwriting all over this album is great. I, I can't find a fault with it, to be honest with you. There's not many areas. There's not many chinks in the armor. It's it's just it's very solid. It's a very great, well-written record. Yeah. Next track, we have The Bastards, The Vultures, The Wolves. Yeah. I Came Here Looking for a Fight is kind of the only part that drags me into this. Oh, really? Like okay. That's that, that part is great, but it's almost like a too 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 little too late for me like this track it it just kind of bounces around it doesn't it doesn't grab me in until that part and then once you get into that part it's like well it's almost over like it's that's almost the end of the track okay i really loved the opening of the song being the age i am now imagining i'm angry like i'm 18 again yes i can't like that's just like i can't imagine that level of anger anymore like, I'm not there in my life at all. <laughs> Don't have the energy to be that yeah, angry anymore. No, I can't be Don't as angry as I was 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and this is another where I'm sure that I'm missing the point or I'm missing some of the substance. But I just hear like one. And I think maybe bands like Brand New could be blamed for this that okay. we've talked about positively in this, where it just kind of bounces from one liner to one liner. Sure. And it's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's a good lyric. It's a good lyric. Okay. And then the next one doesn't like mean anything compared to that last one. It's just like, oh, oh it's another good one. All right. Sure, All right, moving I gotcha. on. Yeah. And that's just, that's the, 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 the what I got out of this one. It, it drags me in with the, I came here looking for a fight, but then it mm-hmm. just, it just ends. So yeah, it, it's, exactly. it's a fine track. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's well written. It just didn't grab me enough. Next up, the devil in my bloodstream. Mm-hmm. Had some really big mountain goats vibes off the beginning of this thing. Sure. And maybe it's just because it's like a just a wild non sequitur. Like it's just kind of, you know, we killed all the buffalo. Oh, what? What, what are we, what are we talking about? Because that's <laughs> yeah. kind of how like every Mountain Ghost tra- song opens is with something you're like, what are we talking about? Like, what are <laughs> <Right>. we saying? <laughs> right. But I love this. This is more of like a cool down track with the, mm-hmm. the piano yeah. and everything. And it's it's that energy shift and it's that relief and release that I needed Great, sure. perfect, perfect placement on the track list. Perfect where it needs to be. It's beautiful and haunting at the same time with the layered vocal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I don't know female in it. See, I, I I heard it as a female vocal, but then I also took it as it could also be like younger him singing with his older self. Oh, okay. Because you know, you um, um, the voice changes as you go yeah. through puberty and whatnot. <laughs> For sure. So like. 
and that made it like another level for me. I was like, holy shit. And this song is, it blew my mind. I mean, when I thought of him singing with his younger self and then talking about his grandpa's depression and yeah, it, it's an absolute. And then when it kicks in, absolute ripper. Like it goes I from love that, when it kicks in, it goes from that beautiful haunting sound just into just a absolute ripper. And then it winds back down at the end. It's a masterclass of songwriting. Like if you yeah. need somebody, if, if somebody needs to know, hey, what's a good song that the writing on it falls? This is one of them. So this is two. There are two suns revolving around this planet <laughs> because De- Devil in My Bloodstream and We Could Die Like This are both just unreal. Just both unreal tracks. The uh, the Devil in My Bloodstream, I actually did a I did a cover of because I loved oh. it so much. Like a full acoustic cover, you got into. Yeah, no full acoustic cover. So you didn't like you didn't like start ripping when it rips. Oh no, I tried. I tried as okay. much as you could with an acoustic <laughs> guitar. Okay. I did the whole okay. like I I did a little uh, a little screaming bit at the at that turn. Is that still on the YouTube's? It probably is. Link will be in the show notes. <laughs> if if it's out there, it it's I never took it off. Next up, we have teenage parents. Whew, deep breath for this one. Um, yeah, yeah, this is another one. From all we had were hand-me-downs and the Goodwills to the gathered around the kerosene heater and your clothes smelling like smoke. I relate to this thing so much, like all, yeah. all of it, all of it. And this is another one of, one of those where I'm like bringing my own life into it. And my parents were far from teenage parents. Like my dad was 30 when he had me. My mom oh, was okay. 25. But the argument could be made that maybe they were still the irresponsible teenagers in their head because they both had their indulgences. They both, you know, still did their own thing. You could sure. say that they were, you know. And then that comes the argument. Like, at what point do you know you are? you know, mature enough to have a kid that you're not going to even be mentally a teenage parent. Never. And I don't. That's the answer is never. The answer yeah. is never. You're never, you're never ready until, until you're in it. Once you're in it, but trying to prepare for a kid, you, you can't. I've really felt my parents in this. Like I just, I felt their struggle to you know raise me and then eventually you know seven years later my sister so i was a single a single <laughs> i don't think single kids the word only child i was <laughs> i was only child for like for seven years and i remember you know not a lot because they hid a lot from me it wasn't until my sister was born that i knew the struggles yeah. but i mean yeah hand-me-downs goodwills all of it like i remember all the kerosene heaters like yeah like all of it perfect they could just load backload the rest of this album with zeros and it's fine. <laughs> like, it's a good album already you could just pack on garbage for the rest of this album and i'd be totally fine with it. you don't want to burn all your material i've bitched about bands burning <laughs> too much material yeah. and this is not one of the case like you're good keep your material load zeros i don't need yeah. anything else you already gave me enough that this is a great album yeah. this track's incredible it's it's unbelievable yeah this is another one where i can get into the atmosphere and feeling the like he puts you in it. I felt there like in that place that he's putting you. I felt in that place before. So it was a very quick like, oh, oh I'm back there. Oh, nope, nope. I don't want to be. I don't want to be. I don't want to be. Get out of, there. Get out of there. Right. Yeah, totally. But the song as as a song is fantastic. It's front to back songwriting again. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unreal. Next up, we have Chaser mm-hmm. and any track that was going to quote unquote chase teenage parents. Yeah, it's just not going to it's not going to do. It's not going to do it, but right. this job does it does a well enough job just being a song on the album, which, again, as I've said, I'm loaded rest with zeros and I'm good. And sure. This one, it, it's fine. I needed, a, I think, a little more of a come down mm-hmm. than I got with this after those okay. last two, even though two tracks ago we had a kind of a come down. But then Teenage Parents was such a manic place almost that I needed another come down and this didn't give it to me. Sure. Next up, we have an American religion, FSF. Yeah, which stands for fuck is. school forever. Okay. <laughs> so what what that means is they wanted to name the track fuck school forever and the record label said, nah. That was the working title for the song. The track absolutely flies by. I barely even notice what happens. It, it's fine. Not, not much notable happening for me. Like, again, it just flies by. It's a fine track. Nothing sure. positive 
or negative to say about it. It's just it's a track on this album. I would like to reference you back to the three sons we have on this record already surrounding <laughs> right. the planet. So this one is a lot. I was going to say you do. told them to load it up with zeros after that point. Okay. So and, and it's not even a zero. Like I said, they're fine enough. <laughs> yeah, it's just I yeah, it's fine. I'll rain dance in traffic next. Yeah. Some really, really great one-liners and lyrics in this one. Another one that I think is much deeper and more important than I'm grasping. I think there's something going on that I I didn't catch on to, but okay. I liked it. I absolutely respect and appreciate the songwriting once again. This is the one that I think you knock it down one track, and then we bring Madeline, which is the next track, up one to give me the big energy switch because it's a huge sure. energy switch. Yeah, Madeline, yeah. It's an acoustic, lo-fi sounding song almost. Yeah, it sounded like he recorded it off his phone or something. And like in the context of the album, I could compare it to uh, Emily from from first to last. Yeah, like it's mm-hmm. that big of a switch up of yeah. this isn't what's been going on the rest of the record. Yeah, it's huge. And I think I would have enjoyed Rain Dance and Traffic more after Madeline if you gave me Madeline as a like resting point. Even though gotcha. Madeline is a great track, it's, it's yeah, a beautiful track through and through. And his voice is great. I, I, it's at this point, I was like, I do like his voice. Not that I don't hate his voice, which is normally what I'm trying to do with pop punk is not hate a voice. <laughs> sure. With this, I was like, I actually like his voice, and I think it works. And like I said, I would put Rain Dance and Traffic after it, though. So, yeah. moving on to Call to Sack, it's fine. I just maybe want to use this track as an opportunity to ref- to reflect upon the uh, unbelievably bright spots we saw before. So let's just look back on these other three tracks: Teenage Parents. Uh, Devil in the Bloodstream, and what was the other one? We could die like this. I want to. I want to look back at those and remember how great those were because they are three sons. Again, I need to re- re- you know keep saying this. Mm. Three sons revolving around this planet. Nice bright you know light on us. This is actually a big one for me. This one, honestly, I think this album is front loaded so hard. I mm-hmm. think this album. First half of this, I think, where where is I, what Teenage Parents be the end of side one? Teenage Parents is the end of side one. Yeah, this thing is incredibly front loaded for me. Like the front half of this is so unbelievably good. And as I said, loaded with zeros. I don't give a shit. I don't <laughs> think they're zeros. I think they're good tracks, but they're absolutely not living up to that. So I think maybe if they even would have saved one of those towards like even now, maybe mm-hmm. it would have been like, this feels like a more well-rounded record as opposed to this thing's going to fall over because it's so top heavy. Why is cul-de-sac so important to you? I have this relationship or had this relationship that he's talking about. Okay. Like where you have a best friend mm-hmm. that you could have swore back in the day that your kids were going to call him uncle and you would never be alone and you'd always be best friends. But then something happens and there's just not necessarily a fallout in the song. There's a huge fallout because the friend gets addicted to pills and it becomes it becomes that kind of strained relationship. Uh, Mm -hmm. Me personally, I just kind of fell out with with one of my best friends, even though like we've recently started talking again and it's super awesome. Shout out to Mike. I love hanging out with him whenever he comes to town and, and talking back about old past stuff when this record came out in 2013 i don't think i had talked to him in i don't know 10 years probably and so you just related to this one so dude i i think probably the first time i listened to this and almost every single time after listening to the song i tear up just because like i get that feeling Mm -hmm. and it's super strong like it yeah it's it like we've been talking about on this record, his songwriting and his lyricism just takes you to like, you get thrown into that situation and yeah. man, I feel it on this one. Like, like you felt with uh, teenage parents. I feel on this one. Yeah. I, it just, I think it's at a time on the album where I had so many emotions up to this point already where I was just like, it was kind of just, I knew it was coming to an end and it was just kind of like, I'm going to think about these other tracks. And then this one kind of just slipped under the radar for me. Sure. And then we have the closer. I just want to sell out my funeral. Yeah. Right off the bat, you know how I feel about closers and death being a part of a closer is great because the album's ending. The album's dying essentially. Mm -hmm. 
But apart from that, I have two opinions oh, on no. this closer. <laughs> and two and two almost polar opposite feelings on this. Oh closer. wow. So let me okay. let me try to let me try to talk through this and see and see if you know where I'm coming from with this. Okay. If I look as a closing track of an album like mm-hmm. this is a music project this is the last track it reminds me of like a medley because they do call back every track they do all that yeah and it reminds me of like i the first thing i think of when i think of medleys i think of one band and i don't know why it's the carpenters i always oh, think wow. of the carpenters okay. when i think <laughs> medleys. a medley to me feels lazy because okay. it can be done like it's wow. whatever like the carpenters do medleys. I like the carpenters. Nothing against carpenters. I like the carpenters and it feels lazy. So when I think of it as a music track for this and I understand the effort, but when I'm thinking of it as a, and I know it's not supposed to be in the parameters of pop punk, but when I think of a pop punk album and I think of your boy soupy, I'm just like, Oh, did you reach a little too much for this? Like, did you try, did you think that you were much, much more than what, you could have left us with. So that's my one opinion. Okay. The other opinion is I think of this as the end of a musical, the end, the final song of a musical, and they're just reprising every track going through. And that is astonishing. That is astounding. And this thing works so well to do that. The, The main problem with that is I wasn't thinking of the rest of the album as a musical. Okay. Now, after I listened to this and thought about it in these two ways and thought about it as a musical, I went back and listened to it like a musical. It could work. You, I mean, you would have to write a little bit in in, yeah. in there around it. But when you're tying all of these tracks together, that the through line might be thin. Uh-huh. As a album, it's lazy to me. But if you're looking at it as a musical, you're doing it and you're very talented and, and very good at it perfect i don't know which way i want to interpret as the last track like i i appreciate the attempt Mm -hmm. if it's the track if it's the musical i respect it and i'm happy it happened Mm -hmm. but it also wouldn't be the track on a musical like cast recording that i would be going back to because i would go back and listen to those other tracks now Two very opposite opinions. Yeah. So I'm going to put my final deciding idea in the middle and say that I don't dislike it and I don't love it. Like, it's just kind of in the middle because I don't know how to put those two feelings I have together. Okay, let me let me tell you how I look at it. Okay. I look at it as, you know how when people say they die, you see your life flash before your eyes? Yes. I look at this track like that. So it's like the bow tying it all together. Like look at everything that happened. Yeah. Like he's going like, I just want to sell out my funeral, which by the way, a, a, a sentiment that I agree with. 100%. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like I, it makes me want to fake my death to see who shows up. Oh, you don't want that. I do. not I, that. yeah, no, <laughs> I do, but I don't No, I look at them tying in past songs into this one song as that point where you're looking back on specific moments in your life, having your life flash before your eyes kind of thing. And that would be more of the musical sense for me. Like, I guess it comes down to was this song the first, like if this song was written for a musical, it would probably be one of the first ones written. And then everything would be written based off this song. Sure. Whereas as a music album and it being the closer, it was definitely written after the rest of the tracks. Yeah. So that's just the way I look at it. And that's also me going outside of an emotional standpoint, going outside of a, you know, even a visceral feeling. That's me looking at it as uh, individual tracks and a guy writing them and looking into the cracks of the book and everything. Mm -hmm. I I think it definitely does its job as the closer either way. Like, even if I see it as, Lazy is kind of not the it's too strong of a word. Like, I wish I wish there was a different word other than lazy, because also it's an eight minute song. It's not you're not lazy for writing an eight minute song. That might also play into my opinions on it a bit, (laughs) because you know how I feel about about very long long songs. Yeah. And there was actually a two points when I was listening through this album where this song in particular was playing. And I was like, God damn it. Are we not fucking done with this? (laughs) Like not. Not the not the track. I, th- I I thought this album was 19 tracks. I was like, what the fuck is going on? 
because when it's referencing those other tracks, I hear it. I'm like, I, I heard this already. Like this already happened. But then, sure. you know, once I got into it, realized what was going on and everything. So I had those two opinions and I don't I'm just going to remain in the middle about it because I have those two very different opinions on it. And I don't know which one is right to me. Okay. So I'm just going to remain in the middle. I don't dislike it and I don't love it. So that's where we're at with the closer. Gotcha. All in all, I'll agree. I'll agree that this album, I think, does break whatever bonds of pop punk that existed because I had those in my head. Mm -hmm. I had those parameters of what a pop punk record turned into because I definitely fell off of pop punk after first wave. Like I was done. I was like, I don't sure. need this. That whole defend pop punk wave came out and I was like, I, I don't want to defend this because I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't like it. Right. But I just figured pop punk was one of those genres that is, it's such a angsty, you know, you're, you have to be a certain age kind of to get pop punk. Sure. Like you and grow like, out of it kind of. Yeah. And I thought that's what it was, but this album made me realize that I don't think that's true. I just think that pop punk bands can be more than pop punk bands. They just have to break whatever they have in themselves that says, Hey, this is what pop punk is. And I think yeah. they did. I think the wonder years do that amazingly with this record is there. They say they're more than a pop punk band. We're just, we're the wonder years. If you want to call us pop punk, call us pop punk. Right. I will say that my biggest disappointment about, anything that's happened on this episode was to learn that it's not named after the TV show, the wonder years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know how true that is. Like I, I can't imagine he got the name from a paper as opposed to the TV, the incredibly popular TV show. Let's hear your top three. I guarantee they're probably different than mine. Oh yeah. I think so. Because I told you there were three sons on this thing yep. and I don't know what to put where. So I don't, hmm. No, Teenage Parents is number one, mm -hmm. and then two and three are going to be switched around, and it's Devil in My Bloodstream and We Could Die Like This. Both sure. of those tracks are, all three of those tracks are just sh very bright, shining spots on this record. If you put out an EP with those three tracks on, it'd be the greatest EP ever put out. So, <laughs> uh, My top three, number three is Cul-de-Sac. Talked a bit about why. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, Passing Through a Screen Door. I love that track, especially the opening where he's like, no matter where he goes, he's always looking for a way out, basically. Mm -hmm. And then my number one track is I Just Want to Sell Out My Funeral. I love the callback to every single other song. Uh, I love how they add parts to the other songs. I, I, I just love, I think it's an amazing closer. I remember the first, the first time I heard this record and that last song came on and I had the same probably thought you did in the beginning i was like eight minutes what is going on in this track that it's eight minutes and then yeah. as it went and then started not not like tying up loose ends but once it started weaving in and out of different songs i lost my mind i was just like the songwriting is just so insanely good and then being able to musically take one song and then go into the next like seamlessly I was just, like, like the Carpenters. Dude, my mind was blown. Not like the Carpenters. Like the Carpenters. <laughs> no. Like the Wonder Years. So uh, the Wonder Years, the greatest generation, thrown, own, phone, or grown. The first time I listened to this, I said it was like 80 degrees outside and it was beautiful and I was feeling this album. I, I went on Discogs after the first time listening to try to buy this. Oh, wow. And the cheapest one I could find was like 50 bucks. And I was like, I, I'm saving Ooh, for that's a honeymoon. Rough. Yeah. Even for a honeymoon right now, I can't be buying that. But it's a definite own. I will own it at some point. There's a lot of copies pressed, but a lot of them are also asking too much money right now. So because I really, I really enjoy it. Um, you know, there's very few pop punk albums that I think of, even even ones that I loved on the throne. I think of like a couple Blink One Eighty Two. Maybe that first Sum Forty One record was fucking giant. Oh, with fat lip on it. Yeah, I'd go so far. I think it. Yeah, no, the Great Generation's a throne. I'll put it oh, on the throne. That's I think, awesome. I think this album is incredible, even with the songs that you know may have missed me. Mm -hmm. But who knows? I'm not going to stop listening to it anytime. So maybe it'll hit me at some other time. But those 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 three tracks alone are throne tracks. So if you, if you put three throne tracks on an album, and and the rest of the album is solid, also. So it yeah. 
The Wonder Years, The Greatest Generation is a throne album. That's so awesome to hear. <laughs> I think that that is my first throne from you. I think it is too. <laughs> yes. That's great. Yeah, I have I have a lot of of emotional ties to this record, and I'm so glad that you liked it as much as you did. Like I I actually expected maybe a phone from you. Maybe. Okay. Um yeah. but I'm so, I'm so glad you liked it so much. It's if you'd have given me this album in like the fall, mm, it might have been a, might, a, a phone. Yeah. Right. I, and that's something that I'm learning now about myself is how much the seasons and the weather. Yeah, isn't that funny? And like what's going on around me affects how I hear and listen to music, which For is sure. Oh boy, I didn't know that was going to be something I had to think about now. Great. Yeah. yeah. Another well, I think level. I think we we touched on that with our Band of Horses episode where yeah, I I'm with you. I get um seasonal feelings for records too. Mm-hmm. Uh and some just hit harder at certain times of the year. So other than this throne, what else were you listening to this week? I was listening to the new Post Malone record, 12 Carat Toothache. So it came around on you then? It is a grower of a record for sure. And even so, like it's it's not the best Post Malone record at all. But there is a level of vulnerability in Post's songwriting and singing and playing on this record that I kind of had to get used to. Uh, And once I did, like, I found myself like singing along and, and waking up with songs in my head off of it. And then, yeah, there's a couple, a couple bangers on it. Uh, the single with Roddy Rich, uh, cooped up that, uh, what a good song. And then, um, Love Hate Letter to Alcohol. That's a that's a crazy track too. Well, and that's the one that has Fleet Foxes on it, right? Yeah, yeah. How does yeah. that work? So weird, but it's it's good. It's a, it's a great track. But man, the opener was was rough to get used to. Uh, kind of super depressing to start off the record that way. But overall, I I I enjoyed it. I'll I'll keep listening to it. I feel like it might even grow on me some more. But yeah, I I dug it. I thought it was pretty good. My record of the week. Yeah. Man, I've been bouncing between two different things this week. Okay. It'd be kind of a cop out if I said that my record of the week is The Wonder Years of Greatest Generation, but it kind of is. But in order to have a different record in here, I'll, yeah. th- I'll throw another record in. It was. It's actually Acacia Strain's last record they put out. And I think they're in the studio now or they're working on something now. Oh, but okay. the last one they put out is Slow Decay. Yeah. And it's it's such a fucking ripper. I, I revisited it because I went through it was last year, two years ago. I went through their entire discography and was like reassessing all their albums. Mm. I haven't done it for no, I did do it with It Comes in Waves. So this was the last one of their discography that I had to do. And I don't know how they did this. Like it's their ninth album, maybe eighth or ninth. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's so in your face. It's so aggressive. It's such a ripper, but it's also doesn't sound like the stuff they've put out before, like through and through. Yeah. They try different things. There's some nasty. It's Riff City. Like there's some nasty riffs on this. I remember when it came out. And yeah, it's it's crazy. It was a crazy it's, record when I listened to it. Yeah, it's still crazy. Yeah, I've been listening to it heavy this week, last week. I haven't gone back and listened to it in a long in a while. I probably should. But yeah, I really I really like that record. I thought it was super good. I love it. Th- this album cemented the fact because there was a little bit of my head that was like are they still my favorite band like, <laughs> right are yeah. they still there and then when this album came out i was like oh yeah they still got it. and then i was fucking karate kicking in my living room and <laughs> had like a strobe light going i was like this is what i need Wind, windmilling like yeah anytime i said terry you better let me know if you're coming out here <laughs> opening up the pit in the living room so, yeah okay strain slow decay is mine Awesome. Uh, so all stuff is for me to give you what's next week, right? Yeah. What am I listening to next week? The record that you will be listening to is Endless Mike and the Beagle Club, and the album is called The Husky Tenor. All right. It's 11 tracks, so it's not super long, and uh, I'm excited, and I think I, I mean, there's definitely a few stories, even minimal stories that will go along with this episode, but... I think you'll enjoy this. I've I've thought you've enjoyed this since we started talking about music, and I yeah. think I tried to get you to listen to it before. And it's probably just one of those things like you've tried to get me to listen to certain albums, and for some <laughs> reason, there's just a, 
there's a wall there that's just like, yeah, I'll check it out sometime. Yeah, right. I think that's probably the situation we, we encounter uh, because we have so much stuff that we try to give to each other. Yeah. And this one wasn't even on the list. It's just one I thought of this week and I was like, I don't wonder if you listened to it or not. And the fact that you probably haven't is I don't great, think I have. Now yeah. we can do a full episode on it and I'm excited. Awesome. I'm stoked. Follow us on Twitter at AYLpod. Send us an email at areyoulistening.pod at gmo.com. Join the Facebook group. Link will be in the show notes. Go tell the garbage <laughs> man about us because they go to many houses. So if they end up blasting it off the speakers off the back of the truck, I mean, all your garbage men have big speakers off their trucks, right? Because mine do. Um, and who knows? They might end up being the next kicker for the Eagles. And for that callback, the only thing I can say after that callback because it was beautiful is... <laughs> Are you listening? Are you listening? Whew, my windbag over here. Opening up the pit in the living room. I, I love, love soup. soup.